0: You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. We have a series to conclude today. We have been for eight weeks in the story of Abraham and Sarah. There's been other characters along the way, Lot and Hagar, Ishmael. Melchizedek, other kings and leaders and angels and all this kind of stuff, but we've been focusing in on this person, Abraham. Now, here is the reality. Some of you, this might be your first Sunday. You missed the last seven weeks, okay? You ever like go on to Netflix and you're like, I'm going to start on episode eight, right? (laughs) No, you've missed all of it, but so for the sake of You know, those of you who maybe it's your first time, first time in a long time, Abraham is one of the most iconic figures in all of human history. He is the founder of uh, three of the world's major world religions, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. They all claim him as the father of faith. Uh, And the reason why this person is significant is because they were a part of God's plan. God's plan to bring about good news, redemption, forgiveness into the world. We know that we have a God who chooses human partners to come alongside to bring about his purposes. And Abraham was this chosen person. God called him out of a land and into a land. From the the land of Ur and into the land of Canaan. And he by faith stepped into that call. And because of that, God made a promise to him. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. He says it five times over. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to give you kids. I'm going to give you a land. I've got promises for you, Abraham. If you will just follow me. If you will just place your faith in me. And what did he say? Yes and amen. Now here's the thing, right? We can like lift up the heroes of the Bible like, wow, aren't these wonderful examples of faith that we could never, ever measure up to? This isn't, this isn't true. The Bible is not full of uh, holy and, and perfect people, but actually uh, people who are, are really broken and, and messed up and make mistakes. Uh, the Bible is not just... Uh, prescriptive, saying you should live like this, but it is also descriptive, saying this is how people lived. And we know that Abraham, although he was a man of faith and he had some wins along the way in the last seven weeks, there was also these moments where, oh, (laughs) just a bit of a misstep. Bit of a misstep. A lot of it had to do with his son Lot or his nephew Lot. Lot was, you know, that nephew. You guys know, right? It's just like, oh, man always getting in trouble, pitching his tent next to Sodom and Gomorrah. Come on, Lot, right? And, uh, and, and then, you know, there was also that moment when he pretended that his wife was his sister uh, to Pharaoh. That got awkward really quickly. A few weeks ago, they tried to, uh, we, we discovered that they, they have this promise from God, they're going to have a son, but they're getting old. So they try to make it happen in their own steam and in their own way. They first try to suggest that God would utilize their servant. They then decide to concoct their, uh, their own plan. And uh, it happens to deal with a woman named Hagar, who's their servant. It's a very sad story Is they've abused her uh, in order to bring about their purposes. Huge missteps and mistakes. I want you to know, in your journey of faith, If you feel like, oh man, I've had some moments where I've had some faith steps, man, have I stumbled sometimes? You're not alone. The heroes of faith, the founder of religions, made mistakes. But here we find in our final week of Abraham's story, there's one more test. One more test. The ultimate test, the penultimate test. God one more time is going to ensure that Abraham is his guy. And through Abraham, he will bring about his purposes in the world, including the incarnation, the coming of Jesus at Christmas. And he puts him to the test again. Now here we go. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 22 and many of you have shared before this is one of your least favorite passages in scripture because God asked him to do something that in our mind is completely unthinkable, horrific and atrocious. But bear with me because I believe as we dig into this story, we're going to see that this is actually a profound story that is going to teach us a lot about what faith looks like and a lot about who God is is, okay? So one of the things we do here at CA Church and, and Rail City is when we read God's word, we stand. Why do we do this? Because we believe these are some of the most important words you're going to hear. And so we stand in honor of them. And so if you're willing, if you're able, uh, can you stand as we read Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Genesis 22, we're going to start in verse 1. Whew, the ultimate test. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your one and only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. And go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on the mountain, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey. He took two servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set the place, set off for the place that God told him about. On the third day on their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkeys. Abraham told his servants, the boy and I will travel a little bit further. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. And while he carried the fire and the knife, the two of them walked together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, father. Yes, my son. Well, we have the firewood. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. And when they had arrived at the place that God had told them, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. And then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, he replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know you truly, truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place Yahweh-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use this name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord came again to Abraham from heaven and said, this is what the Lord says. Because you have listened to my voice and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I certainly will bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky, like the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have listened to me. Then they returned to the servants and traveled back to Beersheba where Abraham continued to live. God, thank you for this ancient story. And I pray today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would convey deep, deep biblical truths to us to help us to be people who walk by faith and not by sight. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. What is happening here? Well, Abraham is put to the ultimate test. What does it say? Very first sentence of this passage. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Sometime later, we don't know how much time, but we know it's sometime uh, after the, the arrival of Isaac. This story has come to a culminating point. God is again putting Abraham to the test. Do you really trust me? Do you really trust me, Abraham? Do you really believe in me? Do you really love me? Will you really follow me and do what I've asked you to do? These are the questions that God is asking Abraham. These are the questions that God is asking us this morning. Do you trust me? Do you truly have faith in me? Do you really believe in me? Bruce Woltke, who's a Old Testament commentator, theologian, scholar, he says this, just as Abraham has to leave all that he has held dear to go to the land that prescribed by the Lord, so he has to offer to the Lord what he holds most dear, and worship where and how God chooses. But why is this necessary? Really? Like, you could test his faith in so many different ways. Like, really? His kid? His son? His one and only son? The promised son? The one in whom he waited 25 years for? This son? Of all sons? Come on. Could it not be Ishmael? Could it not be his servant? Could it not be someone else's son? Really, his son? A kid. This is hard for us as mo- modern hearers, right, and, and readers to wrap our minds around. Why is this necessary, God? Why? And I've struggled through this question this week. But there's some things going on theologically behind the scenes to help us to know why God is asking for this. The first is this, is that sin which is just a three-letter word that means we have missed the mark. And all of us have done this. We've all missed the mark in one way or another. If, if living God's way is a bullseye, we have missed the mark. Sometimes we've missed the board altogether. And the scriptures say that for everyone has sinned, every single one of us. So this isn't, you know, isolating a few really wicked people in the room, but it speaks to all of us, including myself. I may be standing on a raised stage, but I sit level at the foot of the cross. We have all sinned. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. But because of this sin, because God is not just a God of love, and many of us, we we love the God of love. And the God of love communicated from the scriptures, man, we, we, we can get around that. We're all about that. But we also have a God of justice. And justice requires justice. It requires a payment. And God takes sin so seriously. This violation of his right way to live that he requires that there must be some kind of consequence for sin, some kind of payment for sin. And our modern justice system's built around this concept. If you're guilty, there is a payment, there is a cost of some sort. Abraham and Sarah have sinned multiple times throughout this story. But many commentators will say specifically the event with Hagar was one of their most atrocious moments. And because of this, God is requiring them, requiring Abraham to make a payment for sin. And he asked him to sacrifice his son. Of all things. But there's also a test here. He is wondering, will Abraham really truly be the vehicle by which I will bring about my purposes in the world? Can I trust him to be the the individual and from his line to bring about blessings in this world? He must be completely faithful and live with total surrender and I must be the highest thing in his life because the sins of the father pass on to the son. If I am not the highest thing in his life, I will certainly not be the highest thing in his son's life. He must have total surrender, and so I'm going to ask him to give up the thing which is most valuable to him, the thing which he most cherishes, the thing that he loves the most. I'm going to test him in this. Is he even willing to give up that? And this isn't the first time that God has tested his chosen people. Think about this. If you would go back in the book of Genesis, a number of chapters, Genesis chapter two, there's two trees. They both look good to the eyes. They both have fruit for eating. But the only thing that separates these two trees is God's word, is God's word on the situation, right? He says that one you can eat from, this one you cannot. Both of them look good to the eyes. So in the the very beginning of the biblical story, God is giving them a choice. Do I trust God or do I disobey him and trust myself? This happens again in chapter six. The world has just spiraled into wickedness. Horrific things are happening. And God has a plan to cleanse the world of all of this wickedness to start over again through a person. His name is Noah. He tells Noah to build a boat in the middle of the desert. He says there's going to be a flood. It's going to flood the entire known world. He's putting Abraham to the test. Will he listen to me? People are mocking him. (laughs) Noah, he's building a boat in the desert. (laughs) You see how big that thing is? And here we find ourselves again. God is testing his chosen. Will you follow me? Do you really trust me? Do you really believe me? Or do you just love the gifts that I give you? Are you just in it for the blessing? Or are you in it for the one who blesses? This is the question that God has on his mind and he is testing Abraham. And here's the truth. Is that God will test you and me. In this way as well. As his chosen people. The script, you know the scriptures say you're chosen. That for those of you who believe in Jesus. You've placed your faith in Jesus. You are chosen. You are chosen by God. And because you are chosen by God. God at times will put your faith to the test. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6 and 7 says this. So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials now for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through these many trials. It will bring much praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. God will test you. There's this um, really tragic and evil doctrine called the prosperity gospel. That tells you that that God is just looking to bless you, make you happy, uh, and give you lots of stuff. And the the reason why I say it's evil is because it's an absolute lie. If God would not spare his one and only son, if his one and only son lived in poverty, why and where? In the scriptures. Do you find this message? Little verses here and there. Little verses taken out of context in the Old Testament. All of Jesus' closest followers died atrocious deaths to follow him. They faced beating and mocking and jeering. And ultimately death. Oh, friends, you will face trials. But God is with you in the pain. He has not left you in the storm. And these, these trials... They they have they actually have a purpose. And there is purpose in your pain that you're experiencing, maybe right now. This purpose is a testing, it is purifying your faith. Answering this same question is your hope in God's gifts or in God Himself? God is not looking for fair weather fans. He isn't looking to be a wagon right, that we just jump on when things are going well. He wants steadfast people. He wants people of faith, true faith, to be his followers. As a long-suffering Canucks fan (laughs) who's endured many trials and tribulations, 94, 2011, the last eight years. I got to be honest, all of a sudden, you know, people being Canucks fans again this season when they're 14-7-1, I'm like, come on somebody, I've been here since day one. In the hard times, in the good times, I cried. I've watched all these horrible games over the years, these awful losses. I had to, I'd season, quarter season tickets a couple years ago, 11 games, they lost 10 out of 11, okay? I still wear that jersey. I still show up. I still cheer. I still indoctrinate my daughter to be a Canucks fan. (laughs) God is not looking for fair weather fans who show up for the playoffs, okay? He is looking for people, followers who will be steadfast day in, day out, when it's hard, not just when it's easy. This is what proves the, the trueness, the genuineness of our faith. God has no space for idols on his throne. No space for idols on his throne. An idol is really just something. It's, it's actually usually a good thing that we've made into a God thing. It's a good thing that we've made into a God thing. It's a, a good thing in life. It's not in itself evil most of the time. But we've taken it and we've placed it higher than God in our lives. And I have a suspi- suspicion that perhaps for Isaac and Sarah, who you finally get this miracle child, they're treating him like bubble boy, okay? Sarah's sitting there feeding him, you know? He's he's 14, right? <laughs> She's feeding him, right? She's combing his head. She, He's just this special privileged child. He gets everything. They always say yes. They never say no. They're treating him as if, as if he is God himself. And I have a feeling God is watching this scene unfold and he goes, "Uh-oh. This is not good. This is not good. Yes, Isaac is the promised son. Yes, he did come about by a miracle. But and yes, he is he is good, but he is not God. So for God to truly figure out where Abraham's allegiance stood. He takes this thing that I believe he has made an idol, a good thing, he's made it a God thing, and put it on the throne of his life and said, okay, are you willing to even give up that for me? And God will do this with you and with me. Many times in my life I've experienced this, where God asked me to put him first. Man, before uh, I was a Christian, speaking of the Canucks, like, oh man, I'd call in sick to watch an exhibition game, okay? Like on TV. <laughs> not, not even in real life. My, my room was painted in Canuck colors. I was known as Canuck Cam. My email was Canuck Cam underscore 13 at hotmail.com. Okay, my identity was in this thing. And when I came to faith, I realized like this, I, there was a disproportionate love for the Canucks in my life and I had to, I had to balance the scales, I had to put God things first, whether that was serving him or his people or connecting with other believers or going to church or whatever it might be. The things he had called me to do had to come first. And it's a very simple thing. This isn't a child. I, I get that. But he will ask us to do that. And I think there is a word here that even we as parents can very quickly and easily make idols out of our children. And God has no space for idolatry on his throne. All other idols must bow down. All other statues must be put aside. Our worship and allegiance is for him and him alone. Some of you say, how arrogant, really? It's all about him. The breath that is in your lungs right now is because of him. The only reason you can mock him right now in your heart is because he has given you life. In him we live and move and have our being. And God calls us to be a people that do not have idols. And so this is the final test. Will you give up this thing that you love, this person that you love, to follow me? And I'll be honest, I, I thought about this a lot this week. Like, would I have done it? Like, would I have followed through on it? And, like, frankly, if I'm, like, being real honest with myself, I think I would have failed this test. I think I would have said, hey, like, check me into the local psych ward, give me a white jacket, put me in a padded room, okay? Lock me up for life. I'm not doing this. And just like a side note, God in Leviticus after this, he condemns the sacrifice of children and human beings. He condemns this act. And never again in the scriptures do we see him ask this question. It's not to justify this moment, but to say that this isn't who God is. And I think Abraham knew this wasn't who God was. I really do that he genuinely actually believed that this was not who God was. You see, this is shocking to us, but you know who it wouldn't have been shocking to? Abraham and his counterparts, Abraham and his fellow man. In fact, one of the most horrific things as we do archaeology and we start to dig in the ancient Near East and the land of Canaan is that we recognize that child sacrifice, human sacrifice was a normal practice in that day and in that time. In fact, all of the deities of that day would ask for these kind of sacrifices as a form of worship. So when Abraham hears this, this wouldn't have been shocking. Oh, uh, okay, I guess he wants what the other gods want. As, other, as people would have read this, they wouldn't have been as stunned and horrified and just, oh, as we are. This unfortunately was normalized in their day. But even though it was normalized, I, I, I just have this sneaking suspicion. And there's some reasons why, actually, as we look at the text, I actually don't think that Abraham truly believed that God was gonna make him go through with this. There's a few different hints in the text that we see. Is um the the first is this, is that you'll notice is that he says, We will. When he's talking to the servants, he says, the, the boy and I will go over to the mountain, we will worship, and we will worship, and we will return. Now, some people might say, okay, he's just giving lip service to the servants to try and get them off the scent that he's about to do this really horrible thing. He doesn't want them to interfere. And I, maybe that's true. But I do think it's actually the latter. I think it's the latter, which is that I think that Abraham knows is that God is going to somehow come through. God is going to somehow intercept this moment that even if that knife meets its source, that somehow Somehow, somehow, God is going to make this right. Somehow, God is going to bring about life. And you know, the reason I, I, I see this in this text, we will, we will, we will return. So there's a hint there, but there's also the, the biblical authors in multiple places in scripture. The first place I want to draw your attention to, give us insight into this text and what was going on in Abraham's mind. Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, and we can put it on, uh, up on the screen. Hebrews 11, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as he sacrificed when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him Isaac is to be the son whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned. Abraham reasoned. Abraham logically came to a conclusion. What did he say? That even if Abraham died, Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So the author of Hebrews, who we believe is writing inspired by God himself, that his pen and his, the, the words that he is writing down is actually the very words of God, tells us. And so we can with confidence say that Abraham reasoned that even if his son died, that, that we have a God who has the power to take dead things and make them alive again. We have a God of resurrection. We have a God who can even bring back the dead. So he, he begins to reason. And Paul in Romans also gives us some insight into this belief that Abraham had. What does he say in Romans chapter 4? Let's put it up. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are certain to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith in Uh, faith like Abraham's for Abraham is the father of all who believe that is what the scriptures mean when God told him I have made you the father of many nations this happened why because Abraham believed believed in who believed in God the God who brings the dead back to life the God who creates new things out of nothing. So Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost, is writing down these words, and we can have confidence that Abraham actually believes this, that we have a God who can take dead things and make them alive. Not only that, we have a God who can create out of nothing. Absolutely nothing. He can bring forth creation. He can bring forth life. And if God is a God who created the heavens and the earth, if God is a God who created the world and all who live in it, surely God Surely God, even if his son dies, can, can reanimate and breathe air into the lungs of Isaac. This is his reasoning as he is walking up here. And here's a very important point for you and for me. Uh, you've been lied to. You've been lied to. There's many out there who have told you that to, be fa- uh, to, to have faith is to be blind, to, to have faith is to shut off your brains, to have faith is to just lack reason. But we see that in order to have faith, we don't need to shut off our minds. We don't have to become illogical. We can reason. And we see this with Abraham. He reasoned. Okay, man. This is a big ask, God. Like a really big ask. But I know who God is. I've seen how he has acted in the past. He he has always come through. And And not just that. Not just that. He's the creator of the heavens and earth. And if he's the creator of the heaven and earth, if he created everything out of nothing, surely even, oh man, even if my son dies, surely he can bring him back to life. This is what's happening for Abraham. He begins to reason. This is the promised son. This is the one who's gonna bring about many blessings into the world. There's no way. Like what? Is God gonna give me another kid at 120? I doubt it. Sarah? You know, it's if she's already working hard enough, just taking care of it. There's no way. If this happens, he is gonna come back. He is gonna have new life. Yes, God is testing my faith, but he is the God of provision. And when God intercepts this moment, it's an incredible moment. The angel cries out, the messenger of God, Abraham, Abraham, do not bring your knife to him. Do not harm him. And suddenly, out of the, the, just the corner of his eye, what does he see? Stuck in the thicket, a ram, a ram to be a sacrifice. And Abraham explains, you are Yahweh. You are Yahweh Jireh. You are the God who provides. You are the God who provides. I knew you would provide. I knew you would do it. He, he, was, he was excited, no doubt. He was excited, no doubt. But I actually don't believe for one minute he actually was mourning the loss of Isaac because he knew that he worshiped, that he followed the God of resurrection, the God of the promise, the God who provides And he saw that this is true. You see, many in the ancient world would not have been shocked to hear the God of the Bible ask Abraham to sacrifice his son. But you know what would be shocking? A God actually intercepting this moment and saying, stop. Stop. I'll provide an alternative. This would have been shocking for the ancient reader. Oh, our God is different. He's different than the gods. Of this land. He is different than the gods of our ancestors, of our forefathers, the stories that we've been told about him. He isn't angry. He isn't vengeful. He isn't out for blood. He's out for our hearts. Friends, this is what God wants from you He wants your heart he wants your affection he wants your faith he does not want your sacrifices in Psalm 51 what does David say you do not please in sacrifices and burnt offerings what you are looking for is a contrite heart what you are looking for is a heart that's affections are for for you and you alone what does God want from you another lie you've been told All he wants my good works. No good works are a manifestation of a heart that worships God. God is not out for your pocketbook so you can write a check at the end of service here. God's not looking for more just people to serve him. What does scripture say? He has everything. He is everything. He has no need for human helpers. God is looking for your heart, my friends. He's looking for you. And this is what he was looking for from Abraham. Do you truly love me more than your own son? I want you to ponder that question because testing and trials reveals our heart, doesn't it? The things that come out of us in our worst moment reveal what's really going on under the surface. When things are good, of course, we can say, God, I praise you, I worship you. <laughs> but when things are hard, it hits the fan, and it's falling apart that is the moment where God is fixated on your reaction. Will you trust me? And this is the message, the mantra, the question of Abraham. Yes, we will have missteps along the way, but at the end of the day, will we choose faith? Will we choose faith like our father Abraham did Abraham did. I feel like we tell so many biblical stories all the time, don't we? And we're like, yeah, and they failed and they failed and they failed and they failed. This is not a story of failure. Abraham went to the bitter end and right in that moment, God intercepts that moment and he says to him, he proclaims a promise, an unbreakable vow, he says, Abraham, because you have done this, because you have listened to my voice and have not withheld your, even your son, he recognized, he was asking a lot, even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea. Your descendants will conquer the cities and through your descendants, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have listened to my voice. Are you listening to the voice of God in your life? Are you tuned out? You know, one of the things I do, sometimes it gets a little overwhelming, right? You're cooking, the fan's going, there's lots of noise. Emmy's uh, bouncing off the walls, the whole thing I'll put in my AirPods, right? And noise cancellation, just canceling the world around me. I put them in just so I can focus and get some peace. Are you stuffing up your ears to the things of God, to the words of God, to the, the questions he's asking you? Or are you listening Are you on noise cancellation or transparency mode, right? Where you can actually hear. It's a elevated sense of hearing, his voice. This is one of the fundamental questions that we find at the end of this story. Abraham, listened to the voice of God. Are you listening to the voice of God in your life? Are you shutting him out? Are you listening to the voice of God or are you putting in other soundtracks within your mind and your heart? We need to listen to his voice. God commends us when we listen to his voice. What does Jesus say? My sheep will know my voice and they will listen to me. You want to be a person of faith? We need to listen to God's voice. And I'm glad that Abraham did. Because God took a huge risk, didn't he? Trusting Abraham with his promise. In a way, God is threatening God's own future plans and his own uh, promise in this moment by trusting a human being. But the This story invites the reader into a deep mystery at the heart of the biblical narrative. God's own purpose and promise is what determines the future of the cosmos. But God also willed that his human partners would be the primary vehicle through which he would bring about his purposes in the world. Abraham is both the problem and the solution to God's promises. And his promise to bless the nations. And because of Abraham and Sarah's story, it's a microcosmic replay of all of humanity's role in the biblical story. Will we, as human beings, partner with God and say yes to him to bring about his purposes in the world, to be a blessing to all nations, to be a blessing to everyone and anyone, not just those who look like us and act like us, to every person in this city, to every person in this region, to every person in this country. Would our lives be an overflow of blessing from above? Will we partner with God? This is the question that Abraham leaves us with. He did. And man, am I glad he did. Because it was through the line of Abraham, generation after generation after generation, that God would bring his son into the world who would die for you and for me on a roaming cross, insuring, insuring. <laughs> That's happened before, don't sweat it. Insuring. They, don't miss this, we can have forgiveness, salvation, grace, mercy, kindness, love, absolute assurance forever and ever. So thank you, Father Abraham. And thank you for your story. May it be a testimony to us. And may we, like you, walk by faith. And not by sight. I pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to CAchurch.ca/railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.